Have you ever arrived at a party where you maybe didn't know too many people or where everyone else is already engaged in a conversation so you're not sh quite sure how to break in? And, and maybe it's only me, but I imagine it's not. I think this is probably true. Um, your options at that point are limited. You can leave, but you just got to the party. So why are you going to leave? You just arrived. So let's not do that. Uh, you can fake indecisiveness at the punch bowl or snack table. And I just dated myself because who has a punch bowl at a party anymore or a snack table for that matter? Um, or you, you could fake read a book on the coffee table. Not, not that I would ever do this, but you could fake read a book on the co coffee table. It's like, hmm, I did not know that tigers are no longer endangered in certain parts of Africa. Or I didn't even know that uh, National Geographic still existed. So you're just kind of passing time, right? Or you could mosey up to an existing circle and pretend you are caught up on the last 10 minutes of the conversation by nodding your head in agreement. You know, you're standing outside this, right? With whatever they're talking about. And then they accept you in by, it's that open shoulder move to say, okay, we're opening up for you. You are welcome to jump in. Even though we didn't say it, you know the open shoulder move, right? It's like that move. And then now, now I can step forward and I'm, I'm kind of accepted into the group. And then you, after you've been accepted, you realize that you wish you had never taken the risk to join the group because the guy talking will not shut up. 20 minutes later, the same guy is talking and talking and talking. And your first warning shot across the bow should have been the moment he said, to make a long story short, the second shot across the bow was enough about me. And then he kept going. And then the third warning shot was the dreaded, you got to understand that, which is usually followed by a statement that ends with okay. Like leadership is about doing the right things in the right way. Okay. As if it's not enough that he or she won't stop talking. Now, it's not only about talking, but teaching. And who doesn't want love to be to taught things at a social gathering? We all love that, right? So teach me, friend. And as if, as if it's not bad enough that we had to listen to Mr. Self-Absorbed, whose stories might as well just sounded like this. So I was walking down the street yesterday and me, 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 me. And then I ran into this old friend I knew from high school, me, me, me. And uh, oh, and you won't believe what happened next. Me, I, I, me, me. And then me, me, me. And as if it's not bad enough to have this happen at a party, some of us has worked with people like this. And it's not just it's not just the me team members. Problem people <laughs> far away from parties come in so many forms, right? Blamers, talkers, reactors, those who take everything personally, high performers who blame others, those who overfunction, those who underfunction, those who won't change, but want everyone else to change. They come in all forms. And sometimes, if we are honest, that one problem person is us. Sometimes it's us. Have you ever worked on a team with a one problem person? I got to pause there. Have you ever worked on a team like this? That one person who derails important conversations, talks behind the backs of other team members, or never stops talking? That one team member who has a sarcastic or hurtful edge in their statements that just slows everything down? That one person who blames everyone else and takes little responsibility for others. That one person who doesn't feel like there's anything for them to learn or dismisses the possibility that they might change or that they might have something to do 
with the team's problems, that one person who just makes the work harder or makes comments in normal team meetings that sends the team members into an emotional tumble that is really hard to describe in words, but a reality so strong that you can almost taste it. Even mentioning that list to you all, I just, it, um, it's hard. These are hard moments and I don't want to be a big downer, but I, we also want to have a whole conversation because we've all, we've all experienced this. And I think in some cases I said, maybe we were these things. And I, I want to mention two things. If you haven't experienced that, then maybe just maybe you are that person <laughs> or maybe you have just never had to deal with a person like that. And so I think there's a variety of ways we can approach this. There's our start. I'm Dr. Rob McKinnon. Welcome to the wild conversation where we make the best thinking in psychology, leadership, and organizational science accessible to leaders who are willing to learn and edit for their sake and for the sake of others. And I, I mentioned this last week. I was hoping that as many people as possible would tune into the wild conversation that you'll share this. And I think we're going to get practical in just a moment um, because the challenge of that one problem person is so prevalent across so many of the teams we work with. We hear about this all the time. And I think we have all experienced it or been it. And I want to take you back. Uh, you know how many projects in college or high school classes have become the dreaded group project? I don't know if, if any of you have high schoolers or, you know, you're like, they come home and they're like, oh, it's another team project. And, and first off, why do we hate them so much? Like, why do we hate them so much when, you know, our teachers are like, this is what the real world's going to be like. But why do we all get a pit in our stomach when we think about the dreaded group or team project in school anyway? And many of us worked on project where other team members would basically not continue, contribute much at all or work on it. And then we're left to do like this happens. So my, you know, this happens, do the whole thing and they get just as much credit as we get, or maybe we may get a pit in our stomach simply because we don't like homework assignments, which by default means we are likely the ones who didn't contribute and got equal credit for the work. However, there's another kind of problem with group group projects. Let me go a little bit deeper, or shall I say problem person or people in group projects. A few years back, I had put students, this is a group of, of, of uh, graduate students, in a, in a group project, and one particular group was really struggling. And, and two of the group members came to my office and described the third group member. They described her as difficult to work with because she would take over every meeting and every part of the project, leaving them no way to work on it without a huge conflict or an argument. And when I talked with the other student, the third part of this team, who they were saying was, was the problem, she said this. She said, I want others to be involved. And I feel like they're not really working on things, but I also know that in most cases I can do it better. That is almost a direct quote. I just know I can do it better. This is a student, by the way, who is was very conscientious, really pretty smart, and in the end could not see that her attitude translated into actions that made it, her very difficult as a team member. And wow, right? It's like teams are hard to work on sometimes. And often it feels like we just have that one problem person. And like many of you, I have managed multiple teams over my lifetime. And in many cases, have had to deal with that one problem team member. But the whole story is more complex than that. And so like every topic we deal with, we're not going to simply deal with symptoms, but with root causes. I want to address 
the whole story of that one problem team member. And I, and what I would like to throw into the brew as fodder for the wild conversation today are four ways to deal with root causes of that one problem team member and their strategies, which may help each of us build great teams for the long haul. So here we go. And there will be pathways into other, other um, talks that we have done together. So I'm going to, I'm going to, simplify a couple of things that we have talked in in more depth in other places but i want to talk first of all about hiring and that's what's often called in uh in the field of industrial organizational psychology selection and the reality is that there is a good chance that in many cases that problem team member will get through our selection processes and i want to be clear that i'm not saying that the problem team people or team members are born that way but that we often hire people who aren't developmentally ready to learn yet. <laughs> They're not ready to learn maybe yet. I don't, I'm not gonna put people in boxes because I've seen amazing things happen. So why do they slip through the process? Why do they slip through? First, here's a couple of things. First, sometimes we are desperate to hire people. We just need bodies, right? <laughs> we, have a, we have a labor problem. Sometimes we need that. The other issue is that we often only look for skills and not for developmental readiness or for a person who has a high level of emotional maturity. And in large corporations that I have worked with historically who must hire lots of people, I think this is going to, some of you are going to really resonate with this. We must, may must hire lots of people. Here's the difference. They can afford to make mistakes like that because they are large enough and their margins, their money, their time, their workflows are large enough that they can handle the error of a few bad hiring decisions. They can handle the error. Small businesses and many not-for-profits can't. We often, we, we often compromise because we need the people fast to fulfill our workforce needs at scale. Who would have thought that we're talking about problem people and we're going to talk about needs at scale? But this is a systemic thing, right? It's a big deal. It's a huge risk. If we're going to hire, you know, if, if Wild Leaders was going to hire 12 new team members at in the next year, this is one of the questions I ask myself. Would we be willing to sacrifice hiring potential problem people, even if they are high performers somewhere else, if we thought they would cause a long-term slowdown? And the answer is no. So here's the question. I'm gonna finish each of these four with a question. Are you willing to slow down now so you don't have to slow down in the future? Until you get to a scale where you can handle the error, these hiring decisions will matter. They'll matter. Number two, inter-team dynamics. We're gonna get a little complex now. Inter-team dynamics. Um, as a manager, that one problem person also means you are going to manage the great team, member, team members too. And here's what I mean, just to give you a little bit of description of what I mean by that. A few years back, I had a pretty obvious problem team member who would derail meetings by laying down ultimatums that were oversimplified, not thought out, and would cause obvious downstream problems for the team. Um, he brought a really important set of skills that were very difficult to find out there in our industry. And he was always, always tough to deal with and work with for other team members, but... I had another team member who I had to manage as well. And she is one of the best leaders and team members imaginable. 
almost irreplaceable. But when the one team member would lay down their ultimatums, the great team member would get to the end of what she was saying and, and it would say this, would say, I'm out. I'm out. And as the manager, I couldn't say that. I couldn't say I'm out because my job was to stay in it. But as team members, they could do that. My, my job was to manage and lead both of them. And the productivity of the team was relying on me. And so was the team dynamic. So here's the question for this one. Are you managing the team dynamic or managing to the problem person alone? Are you seeing the whole dynamic or managing to the problem person alone? Because we have to manage both. And by the way, when I say these things, you know, I'm often described this way. I am in process too. So if I sound like some sort of leadership expert on this, like anybody, anybody who is actually a leader who says, I've got this figured out. Here's my four principles and off we go. Like is kind of ridiculous. Okay. Number three, differentiation. Okay, let's do let's go after root causes now, like deeper root causes. Just for a moment, all right? Deeper than selection and deeper than team dynamics. In most cases, when you have a problem team member who is destroying the team dynamic, the solution is not to deal with or rid yourself of the team member. Although that may be necessary. It is it is a problem of the will and strength of the leader. In most cases, problem team dynamics, and there is a lot of writing and research on this that you know we get into in our programs. In most cases, problem team members and team dynamics, toxicity and a lack of progress is not a core issue of a problem team member, but an issue of leadership. This is something that is so at the heart of what the Wild Toolkit builds up in leaders, managers, and every team member that we work with. It's called leadership differentiation. And this is a big topic. And we have lots of previous podcasts and links that we can provide on, the, you know, so you can take a look at that. But for the purposes of today, let me define it. A differentiated leader is a leader who is clear and convicted and also connected to the needs and wants of others. And what this means in a normal day, like with our team members, with problem team members, even is that while um, that problem person, what that problem person is doing is on some level their issue. When it becomes a team issue, the leader has to have the courage and conviction to stay clear and calm and composed in the face of that and be clear that it will not be tolerated. And that takes tremendous courage. And here's the even deeper story. You thought it was deep enough. Here's the deeper story behind this. In most organizations, even the toughest corporations, we don't actually deal with problem people. We move them around. We move them around. And, and do you know what happens when we move one problem person from a chronically anxious team? The anxiety of the team will find a new problem person to label. You've seen this happen, right? Like the anxiety moves somewhere else. Unless the team is, is being led well and strong. And so here is the question for, for this one. Are we willing to have the tough conversation necessary to push the team forward into a season of clarity, innovation, performance, and emotional health? And I'm not saying being tough alone. To speak the truth with love. You know, and I think that's one of the things that is absolutely critical. Number four. There's a big word. We, you hear it often, but let's get into it for just a second. Culture. 
Number four is culture. Building teams who not only have less problem people, but who deal with problem people well and leaders and managers who will lead that change requires a strategic investment at the cultural level. And culture is a messy thing, so don't get me wrong. It is. This is a really difficult thing to put your hands around, but I said a strategic investment. What is your culture about? What are the behavioral expectations on the playground that is your organizational culture? Wild Leader doesn't do this. We don't do this perfectly, but we are we always attempt and aspire to be intentional about it. And we have a cultural charter that we we will share with you that some of you have seen. It has values. It has what we as employees can expect from Wild Leaders and it has what Wild Leaders expects from us. And we have we actually have an article that you can read about it if you're interested. But it also has what we describe as a level 3 leader. And this is language that I, that was developed by my brother, Dr. Doug McKenna, that I have used in every class with every team member I have ever managed for the last couple of decades. And it reads like this. And I want to read the setup. It says, the setup says this. Before a, a new person would read this charter, we just, we, we read through this every year. And it says this, in every case, and especially for those in preparation to lead or are currently leading, how we show up is just as important as the quality of the assigned task, the project, the deliverable or other metrics that we would try to satisfy. And following is a description of what we describe as a level one leader. Let me read you this first, okay? We call this a drive-by, or my brother did, a drive-by or emotional contributor, okay? Speaks up occasionally when the team members gather with mostly accurate links or references to the current discussion or activity. Speaks up regularly or, and, or often and compulsively but has a hard time managing feelings about the issues at hand at the expense of calm, clear thinking about the issue. And the content of contribution is highly variable, ranging from a rare, brilliant insight, observation, or questions to distracting, polarizing, impulsive comments that waste team time. And in the face of silence, feels impulsive need to fill the space. <laughs> Some of us have been that person or dealt with that person. Here's the level three. Here's the aspiration for us. This is it. Consistently demonstrates breadth and depth of knowledge, understanding, bringing fresh original thinking and ideas to the, to the other team members, presses for high levels of thinking and preparation for each meeting and moment, raises the intellectual bar in activities and discussions, maintains emotional composure, even in heated discussions, expresses awareness of others' positions on issues and encourages other voices to come to the table, expresses no need to make everything about them or to talk too much takes unpopular or controversial positions when it is important to do so and responds to questions with critical thinking and evidence rather than dominating or appeasing others, engages others in the learning and production process. So here's the final question. Have you documented and shared your cultural expectations with every team member and hire in your organization? Thank you for listening to this wild conversation. To join our live wild conversation on Fridays, visit our website at wildleaders.org backslash wild conversation and subscribe to this podcast for regular whole and intentional leader development conversations. Have a great day.